0: Hi, this is Coach Sam Maddox, CEO of Rehab and Beyond, and you're listening to Billy Brew Radio. Extraordinary Things. Welcome to Billy Brew Radio, your Thursday edition. Actually, we come on every Thursday, so your weekly edition of uh, Radio Mediocrity. You're hearing us on WWWEAM AM 1100 in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm on Atlanta Radio. That really makes me happy. We're also streaming live at real1100.com. You can also download the Real 1100 app for your iPhone or Android. Another way to find us is on the TuneIn Radio app. We're also out there on iHeartRadio. And Billy Brew Radio has social media covered. We've got Facebook, we're on Instagram, and also we have a LinkedIn page, of all things. And what we do is we take this award-winning broadcast and convert it into a podcast, and we upload it to the Apple Podcast and Google Podcast platforms. Now, every morning, or every Thursday, when I say good morning to Greg, I mean it. And this guy does everything. Uh, you, You really don't realize what he does behind the scenes, and he's amazing. So, good morning, Greg. And this hour of the uh, Billy Brew Radio is sponsored by Habersham Home Solutions and Landscape. Fall is here. And fall is the ideal time to plant your trees and shrubs. The folks at Habersham Home Solutions and Landscape can help. They can help you with a landscape design and installation for your project, landscape enhancement to complement your existing landscape, flower beds, pine straw, pine nuggets, general yard cleanup handyman services also available electrical services drywall painting junk removal and general household projects so give Habersham Home Solutions and Landscape a call for a free estimate 770-616-5979 that's 770-616-5979 solutions for your home and landscape Habersham Home Solutions and Landscape yeah, give those guys a call. They uh, they do really great work, and they cover all over metro Atlanta area. And think about this. With the holidays coming up, they might be able to help you with some uh, landscaping enhancements for your uh, house before the uh, holidays come. So give those guys a call, 770-616-5979. All right. uh, As I mentioned in the very top of the show, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and I've been so uh, blessed to have so many great people on the show, people you've never heard of and then people you have heard of. And my guest this hour is uh, someone you better have heard of or you just don't know anything about Atlanta. He is a 19-time Emmy Award winner. He is the primary weekend news anchor for 11 Alive, and it's my honor to have him. Please welcome Jeff (laughs) Hollinger. Jeff, good morning.
1: Billy, how are you doing? I am well, Good sir. Good to talk to you this morning. Good to How's talk it going to you? Today?
0: It's great. How are you, sir? I am well. Good. Doing Thank you for right. doing the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Sure. All right. You were born in Colorado. Is that correct? Yep, Denver. Denver, Colorado. What was it like growing up in Denver?
1: You know, very different from the Denver that you guys see now. Uh, you know, when somebody asked me if, if you're from Denver, and I said, well, I grew up there. I said, I was born and raised there, but it's not the Denver that... You're thinking of of micro brews and you know uh highly educated people and a lot of disposable income, lots of fancy condominiums and homes and this incredibly hip place. The Denver I grew up in was uh you know a lot of bolo ties and cowboy boots and uh not a lot of industry and uh you know a place that certainly had some economic problems in the 60s and 70s, all the way into the 1980s. So it was a very different Denver. And I'm sure a lot of Atlanta people say that about Atlanta as well. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in Atlanta, but it's not the Atlanta of the Beltline and all of the fancy restaurants and, and the big buildings and all of that of Midtown.
0: You're exactly right. I grew up in Atlanta, and I say that every day almost. And uh, Denver sounded like, to me, maybe it's like an old west town uh, at, at that time. You know, Denver Denver was geographically isolated
1: um, in you know, you're, you're separated by, the mountains separate you from California and, and the West, and you're about 550 miles away from St. Louis, which would be the nearest big city. So the geographic isolation always led to a uh, love of the Denver Broncos. It was the one real tie to the rest of the country at a time when, you know, when there wasn't the Internet and there were only three or four television stations that you could watch. The Denver Broncos were the tie to the rest of the country, and that in part is why, the, the cultural significance of the NFL in Denver has been significantly different from, say, Atlanta or some other places.
0: Weren't the Broncos the only professional team in Denver at that time?
1: They were. They were. You know, the Nuggets have been around for a long time in the ABA in the 1960s, and then with uh, the merger of 1976 when there were four ABA teams that went into the NBA. But, yeah, I mean, the Broncos have always been it out there. College football, somewhat nonexistent.
0: Interesting, because I figured there's a lot more colleges than certainly pro teams out there at that time. But uh, So the Broncos just own the town. They still do, I bet.
1: A- absolutely. But, you know what, I've been gone from Denver for, you know, now going on 36 years. So my my reference on Denver, I'm probably the last guy in the world to be talking about Denver. <laughs> the only time that I've been to Denver – I don't know. In the last twenty years, is either doing Falcon Games or I gave a commencement at my uh, at my college, my university, uh, two and a half years ago. So I didn't recognize it. I found it kind of sad. I didn't, you know, I, I I could have been anywhere in the West because I didn't really recognize the Denver that I grew up in.
0: And everything's so homogenous everywhere. I mean, if you don't see a Starbucks in every town, then what's wrong with that town? You know, it's it. So look, I may go. I may go a different
1: direction on that. I think. Sure. I think oftentimes. Television and radio consultants over the years come into Atlanta and they say that very same thing that, you know, there is no difference between these new American cities, whether it's Denver, whether it's Seattle, whether it's Dallas, whether it's Atlanta. And I think that's a fundamental mistake that many of these people that come in and try to program radio and television stations over the generations make because Atlanta is a very unique place. It's very, very, very different from Dallas or Denver or Tampa or any of these places. It's it's unique in terms of its development topographically, as, as far as the topography goes, as far as economics, as far as race, uh, as far as region. This is a really, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it, sort of like a piece of baklava. You know, there's so <laughs> many layers <laughs> of, of crust to this place, the past and present, that um I I really think this is one of these cities that is is uh intrinsically different from you know the the other big cities that were essentially Greyhound bus stops back in the nineteen sixties.
0: Yeah, and I hear that a lot. What when did you get to Atlanta? Uh early nineteen eighties. Okay. And what brought you there other than was was it for work, I'm assuming? Did you have a job like that? I
1: was uh I was a weekend sports anchor in Denver and I was doing the Denver Bronco pregame shows. Uh, I was at the NBC affiliate in Denver, and I was a man in a hurry. I was very <laughs> ambitious, and I was uh, I took the job, this meaning the job at Channel 5, uh, when I was 25 years old and, and got here at 26. And, you know, I was, I was very young, and uh, I was really excited at the opportunity to come to Atlanta.
0: Oh, I, I can imagine. And so you've been in Atlanta so long, you have seen the changes, and you've also seen so many changes in television news. In your career yeah you know
1: television news has changed greatly around the country, and in some ways uh, it has not changed at all. Uh, the technology certainly is unimaginable from even twenty years ago. but our business is is radically changed when the, midst of the revolution around the country and not just Atlanta, but the majority of television stations around the country are in the midst of uh, a, it's a very different business um. You know, it used to have massive amounts of staffing. It doesn't anymore. You know, one of the reasons you wanted to get to bigger cities was so you didn't have to shoot or edit your own videotape and your stories. And here we are in 2019, and what's called MMJs um, in, in our business are reporters who shoot, edit, and and uh, uh, generate their own stories. I mean, it's called one man or one woman bands. And uh, it is a great challenge. It is, uh, it is a strenuous occupation that requires a lot of left and, and right-side brain activity.
0: And don't they do the editing right there in the truck and have the, the piece ready to go from the truck? And well, they do, it,
1: they do it on their laptops. Wherever you want to go, you can, you can do it. Um, you know, my generation didn't have to do that. But um, all of the millennials, all of the young people that are coming up, it's a, it's a completely different business than, than how we came up. The stories remain the same. Telling stories, um, making sure that the photography is great, and that you're fair and and you're equitable in terms of how you're telling your story. But it's really it's really changed. It's uh, you know, I I don't know what the future looks like. It's it's a business that's ever evolving.
0: And it sounds like that industry has to be flexible to go wherever it needs to go to keep up.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're a business of immediacy and pictures and you know, local television is trying, I think, all around the country to give more perspective so that we're not just, you know, fast food, so to speak. Um, and I think that's a great challenge because the business is getting younger and younger. And, mm-hmm. and and certainly people of, of my age and experience um, oftentimes are not to be found in, in television markets anymore.
0: Why... I'm sure you have to, if it bleeds, it leads. Why is that? Well,
1: not necessarily. I mean, I, I I think it's easy to say that, and it's easy to try to generalize local television in such a manner. And look, there have been some television stations by and large, not here in Atlanta, but around the country, who have been irresponsible on that front. But truth be told, those stations that have tried to be sensational or have tried to... Like do everything by violence or by the lowest common denominator of the human experience have not been successful televisions by and large. They have been those outlets that have been experimenting greatly, trying to find something that works, and generally those kinds of television stations don't stay with those formats very long. But look, we in local television, you know, people say, at least at cocktail parties, talk shows, I don't want television that has a lot of violence and violence all of that it doesn't really work that way i mean we have seen some instances certainly in atlanta where you know television stations have opted to go away from breaking news and current events and the the audiences went away you know people still want to know what's going on in their community and that oftentimes means fires uh, violence murders yeah Uh, it's it's part of being informed And you can be as esoteric as you like and say that you only want stories about uh, inspiration or stories that you want about, you know, millage uh, rates in counties. (laughs) But the the truth is, you know, if there's a shooting in DeKalb County involving four or five people, you want to know who, why, and where. Yeah.
0: And that is certainly a big story uh, for sure, but it just seems like, the first ten minutes is just horrible news. But how do, and, and, and but look, look, we look. We live in a city
1: of seven million people, right? Yeah. The metro area of seven million people. The amount of violence and, and handgun violence and uh, incredible stories of 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 violence are. It's a part of it everywhere in America. I mean, yeah. you take a look at at these police blotters in all cities. This is not the America of Fred Rogers. This is a <laughs> no. It's <not>. a very. <laughs> This is a very violent country, and you know i th- I think we all have to try to understand why that is poverty certainly is um, a major determinant in in all of this, but it, it's way beyond my pay grade to understand it but gosh, you know um i'm an older guy, and to see the amount of violence that that we have on a day to day basis, not just in Atlanta but every american city of of every discernible size is appalling and yeah. it Gives you pause for reflection, that's for sure.
0: And you're the consummate professional. How do you let? I, mean, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I know. I, I can guarantee millions of people think the same thing. But yeah, night yeah, after night, trying. you you have these stories. How can you? How do you not let it get to you? How do you just? Well, you do. It, it's
1: impossible not to. I mean, yeah. the stories of animal abuse and the amount of child abuse and missing people and and lives of people behaving badly. Um, it is impossible not to be touched by that on a, a nightly basis. There are some stories that. I don't know, I walk out of the building after I've been reading uh, for three hours during the day that, you know, you just shake your head and you say, well, maybe it was easier when I was just doing hockey scores and I went home.
0: Yeah. And that's got to be emotionally draining. Well, you know, I, I, I think it is
1: anybody who has any sense of community and any sense of empathy for those who are in dire circumstance, which oftentimes is a real determinant, I think, of of how some of these stories turn out in terms of violence and abuse and, and all of that. You you know, you, you you thank God that maybe your own life has not been so chaotic and that you've had opportunities where you haven't, you know, had to live in circumstances of of, of such that, you know, so many people are, are are wedded to, so many people can't get out of, you know, I, I the the level of poverty in Atlanta in America is um you know, his head shaking and you know, what can we do to change that? Again, I don't know. But we we certainly see the cause and effect.
0: Do you think Atlanta as a whole is a compassionate city?
1: I think it's just hard to generalize. I think yeah. I think we're compassionate in some places and some people and some people are not, you know.
0: Is there a formula in, in the news now that local news? It seems like you can go to Wichita and same see the same type of people. And my, and I don't want to generalize. And my, I guess what I'm getting at: what happened to the television television personalities like Guy Sharp, who you just remember Guy Sharp's weather, and you know, or is it is it just to make not not the guys be the stars, but let the news be the star?
1: So you're saying that what are you talking about? Where news was older.
0: That well, kind of just, thing where you
1: saw a lot of older people.
0: Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry, not that. Just uh, Guy Sharp had a, a personality, a certainly like a Willard Scott had a personality. Somebody who really well, stuck out. Well, I think out. Guy Sharp.
1: I, I I always think that Guy Sharp is one of the most unusual and tremendous personalities on local television I've ever seen. I always sort of equate him to like something you would see like Tennessee Ernie Ford, and I'm using some older references here. <laughs> yes, but th- this sort of different America, this sort of ah Shucks kind of thing, this. This, uh, I mean, for, for people that are, are hearing this who are too young to know who Guy Sharp was, he was a sort of folksy character who was uh, an eccentric with a big voice mm-hmm. and a funny perspective. And, yeah, he was a weather guy, but he was a lot more than that. He was just sort of this character. And, uh, you know, local news used to be full of a lot of that kind of thing, but the country has changed. We're a lot more sophisticated. We move quicker you don't see people like that in local television anymore and that's too bad yeah i I agree
0: i agree those kinds
1: of personalities are really memorable i mean guy sharp first time i ever met guy sharp was must have been in the early 80s i'm over at toco hills and used to have a dunkin donut shop over there it's still there but dunkin donuts used to have waitresses and they would have these counters and i walked in getting some donuts because it wasn't far from where waga was and He's sitting there in there holding court with about 15 old guys, you know, sit, sitting swapping some sort of folksy stories of an America gone by, and it was highly amusing. He introduces me as though, you know, I've just appeared at the Rotary Club function, and uh, it was like, you know, well, I'd just like to give a special welcome, you know. It's like, wow, this is uh, this guy's the real deal and and he was he was uh irreplaceable and uh, one of those figures on local television that uh i think made local television you know special viewing
0: it was like watching your grandfather give you the weather
1: well i didn't have a grandfather like that but uh (laughs) i didn't have a you know he was he was a ham first and foremost there's no there's no shame in that i'm i'm Certainly a ham, too, if I've been on radio and television for 40 years like I have. I, I have a lot of that in me, too, but um, not like that. You know?
0: How young were you, you when you knew that you wanted to get either into radio or television?
1: You know, I knew from the time I was in the first grade. That's what I wanted to do. And, you know, I, I had an old classmate tell me one time that she had remembered in grade school when I used to tell the teachers that one day I was going to call the Denver Broncos in a Super Bowl. And lo and behold, in 1999, I did. Oh yeah, as the voice of the Atlanta Falcons. So the moral of the story is: be more specific in your prayers.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I definitely want to talk about that season uh, a little bit later on. But uh, who, who influenced you on a national level, as far as I'm going to be that style, like a Kurt Gowdy or a, you know, Walter Cronkite?
1: No, no one really. I, I was. I like the guy in Denver who was the voice of the Denver Broncos named Bob Martin, who died. Gosh, he's, he's been dead 30 years. But he was a guy who was my boyhood hero. He was um a really smart guy who did the Denver Broncos. He was really a tremendous measured play-by-play guy, not a hype-meister like, you know, we hear with NFL teams now for the most part, where, you know, they are arms of the marketing department. So there, there's a lot of screaming and shouting. Yeah. On touchdowns in second quarters in October that don't, you know, aren't really consequential. But Martin was a guy who uh, was this really learned, smart play-by-play guy who also did election coverage on KOA Radio, which is a fifty thousand watt clear channel blowtorch back when those things mattered. And he, he was really a big influence on me. And, and Martin was a guy who had all kinds of interests. He was interested in the arts. He was interested in classical music in Denver. And you know, I just followed him. And uh, lo and behold, when I was in college, he happened to see me on television when I was uh, working in Colorado Springs and called me up for lunch and and hired me as a weekend guy while I was still in college in Denver. And, you know, he was always an influence on me who eventually hired me. So he's always held a place in my heart. That's
0: for sure. That is fantastic. That's a great story. What... uh, I I lament, and maybe in baseball it might be more prevalent, the 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 same announcer style, same play by play style, it, the, and I, I guess I again go back to the personalities. They're not you had you when you did the Falcons games, it was distinct. I I loved your style. Oh, you're kind. No, me. I'm I'm serious. I, I the way you, when you called the NFC Championship game, that was outstanding. That's that, that's personality without dominating the game. I guess where are the personalities now? What's is it safe? Is it just corporate marketing safe thing?
1: Well, I think I I don't know I I have my own opinion on that and I don't I don't think my opinion means anything more than anybody else and on, on the subject even though you know I've been in broadcasting all of my life it just seems like every baseball play by play person tries to sound like Vin Scully you know everybody <laughs> does this sort of bad Vin Scully impression and you can go all around the country and and I think it's changed in this way too that. My generation and the generations before really viewed radio as, you know, a great way to broadcast sports. Well, that all changed about 20 years ago because, you know, the younger generation, uh, and and every generation for that matter, is television oriented. So I think sports on television has been, uh, on radio, has been greatly marginalized. I think the great talents that you used to hear on radio, uh, are now on television because there's more money in it. You know, play-by-play is a funny culture. It's a funny world. There are about 3% of the people who really make a great living at it, and then there are everybody else who's just struggling, you know, trying to make a living doing a lot of different things to try to to patch together and scratch together a living. So it's um, I, I think it's different in that sense. I, th- I think the great play-by-play voices now are on television as opposed to, you know, a generation ago, you were on radio.
0: Yeah. How long were you the voice of the Atlanta Falcons? I think seven years. I think that's about right. What What was about – did you see anything in preseason about the 1998 team that made you think they were going to do what they did?
1: No. And I think – No one did. Um, I, I think the, the legacy of that team ultimately, and, and this happens a lot of times in the National Football League, is – you have teams where everybody, it's like a harmonic convergence of guys having career years. Mm-hmm. And the 1998 Falcons had all kinds of guys who were good players but had never had the kind of year that they had in 98. And then after that season, weren't able to replicate it again. But all of those players, seemingly many of them, all had great years at the same time. And I, I, th- I think the great disappointment of that Falcons team All of these years later is the fact that uh, the Eugene Robinson thing, I I love when I see on threads on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, people say the Eugene Robinson thing wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal. I mean, it was an unbelievably big deal. I mean, I was there. I was in the middle of all of it. And the arrest of the team captain, it was shattering to a team that was defined by guys having career years. It sort of it, it seemingly put an end to the mojo.
0: I agree with you, and being a lifelong Falcons fan, when I woke up Sunday morning and heard that story, I knew that the Falcons were not going to win.
1: Yeah, I felt that way, too. I mean, most of them were up all night. I found myself doing the Dan Reeves show at like 8 a.m. that morning, and uh, Reeves was devastated, and everybody around the Falcons organization, players, it was like, you know, they were no longer at the Super Bowl. They were at some kind of funeral, and as we look back, maybe it wasn't that big a deal to begin with, you know? Maybe it wasn't as big a deal. And I think a lot of revisionist history is,
0: how could that be a big deal?
1: Oh, man, it was a big deal. It and
0: was, Jeff. I agree. because I've, okay. I've
1: always believed uh, the Minnesota Vikings were the best NFL team that year. Yes. Falcons went to Minnesota, beat the best team. Conversely, in the Super Bowl, Broncos were not as good as the Falcons. They simply were not. And, uh, you know, Denver wins, and there you have it.
0: How stacked was that Vikings team? They had Randy Moss, Randall Cunningham. They're amazing. Yeah.
1: They were They were astonishing. I mean, I, I think they were, at least in my mind, uh, they remind me a little bit of the 1998 Braves. Mm-hmm. I think the 1998 Braves were the best team of the 90s, and they didn't win it. And Vikings, I look in the same context. They were the best NFL team that I ever saw in the 1990s, and they didn't win a Super Bowl.
0: I d I c don't remember what the point spread was for the NFC championship game, but no one saw it was pretty, that. Coming. It was big. I thought it, I think it was double digits. Yeah. And no one no one saw that coming either. That was one of Excuse the best me. games of no. Falcons' history.
1: It was a great game. It was an amazing game the way they just continually fought back and and the mixture of Gary Anderson missing field goals and oh, yeah. Gary Anderson missing field goals inside it's still uh it's astonishing twenty years later.
0: How loud was the Metro Dome?
1: Metro Metrodome is the loudest place, uh, an awful environment, uh, really uh, for, terrible for baseball. When the Braves were there in '91, just miserable, just phony, and um, and really loud. I mean, the the it, it was it, it's the loudest place imaginable. It only there's only about fifty five thousand seats in there, but sound just I mean it just bounced off the walls. I did uh, I did a number of games in there from the Falcons. I also did when I was a DS fan, I did the Paul Bunyan game, which was Minnesota and Wisconsin. I did that twice uh in Minnesota and gosh, it was it was so loud, it was just you, you could barely think. Um, and I know that's a cliche, but uh it it was just really, really loud.
0: And if it's loud in your broadcast booth, can you imagine just being a regular person in the stands? You know, that's gotta be really loud.
1: No, I'm I'm glad that stadium's gone. I uh yeah. You know, I just think it was a really artificial, tough environment that was not for real.
0: Did you only do football play-by-play, play, or have you done other sports?
1: I did. Uh, I did games at espen I did uh, uh, basketball as well. I did college basketball for women and
0: men. What do? You, what did you prefer at the time? did, uh, did football? You know, I, I enjoy
1: play-by-play. Play. I, I enjoy everything in in uh, in broadcasting. That's for sure. I, I love local news. Um, I, I love local anchor work. And I love play-by-play too, and I, uh, I certainly have, have had some regret about how I've opted to uh, to exit that. And and uh, you know, look life, life is life is bruising always. You know, nothing is perfect, and you sort of move forward. But you know, I, I do miss doing play-by-play. I do. Yep absolutely
0: well we're going to take a quick break jeff if you can stick around for the next half hour um sure i would love to talk about you were on a certain morning show which your role in that morning show cracked me up and uh <laughs> and also your facebook essays that you've been doing recently those are fascinating sure. as well so all right you're listening to billy billy brew radio this is jeff hollinger our special guest and we will be right back Does your company want to reach thousands of radio listeners? You can increase your sales, your market share, and your profile by advertising on Billy Brew Radio. By advertising on Billy Brew Radio, your company will be heard on a top ten market in the country. Your company will also be heard on multiple podcast platforms. Call Billy Brew Radio at 770-616-5979 for advertising regs. The power of radio, the power of radio advertising, Billy Brew Radio. Have you been looking for a radio station that gives you sports? I don't believe it! It's a touchdown! Entertainment? Are you not entertained? And other special interest talk shows? Well, isn't that special? All on one app? Yo, that's dope. What app is that? It's the real 1100 AM app for WWE. Grab it for free in your Google Play or Apple App Store today. Blankets and chairs, and my very special guest this hour is the uh, Jeff Hollinger. And uh, Jeff, when we took a break, you worked mornings at ninety six Rock with Christopher Rood. I
1: did. It was a lot of fun. By the way, I, I did the Falcons. I think five years. So I, okay. I was thinking, I was trying to add that up. I haven't been asked that question in a while. I think I got that right. <laughs>
0: well, I I grew up in Atlanta, so I, naturally, ninety six Rock was my go to station, and. When you came aboard, you added a sense of, a wry sense of humor to me. You were quiet, you did your thing, and then you you would do some funny stuff. But what was your impressions? You had a great time?
1: I did. It was fun. You know, 96 Rock had such an enormous rating and cultural influence, I think, in the Atlanta of our past. You know, Southern Rock was such a huge deal from the Allman Brothers to Marshall Tucker to, I mean, 96 Rock was sort of, that touchstone of all things southern rock, back at a time when you know a lot of a lot of white males were wearing dingo boots and hoping to own a trans am and uh- ninety six rock was that place uh i've 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 always let, let me say this billy i I've always thought like the newspaper always wrote about ninety nine x and yeah you know ninety nine x was like the station for highly educated young people, you know, future attorneys and CPAs and all of that. But 96 Rock was the people station. It was, you know, it was sort of blue-collar Atlanta. It was, you know, people just fighting to make a living and doing their best with their family and liking to drink some beer and go to concerts. And I, I just think it was the ultimate litmus of that part of Atlanta that now I think is still there. But but certainly um, doesn't have a go to outlet like at ninety six rock was.
0: How long were you on there uh, on that morning show? Oh gosh,
1: they kept us together a long time. I was yeah. there from nineteen ninety to uh, let's see, they nuked they uh, a really dumb radio decision by that that company yes. uh, to prematurely blow up Katie Kylie and oh. and Willard and and um, and Brood in the morning show, and you know they lost it. I mean. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be one of the worst decisions imaginable. They prematurely blew up that radio station, I and it, it's just crazy. When when Clear Channel came down here and, and took over that place, it you know they didn't get it. They didn't get anything about Atlanta. They just didn't get it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you look at what happened. They moved me over to ninety uh, to uh, uh, WGST in the late nineties, and you know they had done planet radio and they were they were trying to get me to sort of you know I was going to do the falcons over there and also just kind of calm down the mornings a little bit and uh you know they didn't know what they were doing with that place and and here we are in what 2019 WGST almost 30 years ago was the number 1 radio station in Atlanta and now I mean, they're playing infomercials, right? I mean, they're not. Basically, they're not yeah. even on the landscape. Yeah, I, it's a very I, I sad story. I, I think it's a cautionary tale, not only in broadcasting but other businesses to listen to your market and to understand where it is that you're doing business.
0: Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Now, I'd, I'd, from a personal remembrance, I, you would kind of just going back to the morning show. Christopher Rude would say something funny, yep. or, and you would, especially when callers would call in, and Rue did his thing, and then all of a sudden, you you would listen to the sound of the caller's voice, and I think. Every time you asked, are you a smoker? <laughs> it was a funny thing. Well, sec- we would do, you know, we heard.
1: we did all kinds of just odd quirky stuff like that that yeah, come on business. Yeah. <laughs> that that uh Can I tell you what is the derivation of that? Please. yeah, come on came from we're having adult porn stars. As if there are anything other than adult <laughs> porn stars, but uh, <laughs> and if That's there are, you better not be doing that, but right. um but we were having these adult stars on, and Rude would put on the video in the background, and this is the difference between rock and roll radio and certainly local television or any other business. You can't be doing that. And he he would put that on there, and there was some guy who was shouting, yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> and so I I took that line. It was sort of an inside joke, and it went crazy. And it just sort of flew off the handle and, and became you know something that everybody would – shout at me in Home Depots and Publixes and, and you know, it's what what ninety six Rock's mornings became, you know, just sort of yeah, come on. And uh, uh it was crazy. It was it was a lot of fun. It was really fun. Chris Root is a very funny man. He's just a very unusual talent and um you know he is uh, he's a very unique player. There haven't been very many long careers in Atlanta radio, but his went from what, about 1990 or 89, all the way up to a couple of years ago. That's pretty amazing.
0: It is amazing. And you mentioned Katie Kylie. She is amazing with her lasting power. Katie's so
1: sweet. And, and you know, her, her voice to me sounds like Atlanta.
0: It does, yes. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. I would love to talk to you about your Facebook essays. Uh, I don't know if any, any of you listeners are listen, uh, watching Jeff on Facebook, but um, you do basically essays about at, various parts of Atlanta history. I, I, am I correct in saying that?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I I had between August and September, like uh, the month of August, and about I think about September tenth, I had almost one million views to Jeff Hollinger Eleven Alive, and you know, I'm not I'm not doing anything that's radically unusual. Um, it's just I, I, Atlanta. I think sometimes in media in 2019 is portrayed as a place that uh, began with the Beltline and the $45 entrees at restaurants along the Beltline, this sort of hipster version of Atlanta that I think a lot of us don't recognize and, quite frankly, we don't like. So I started doing some essays on things I like, whether it's the caramel cake over at Rhodes Bakery Mm -hmm. off of Cheshire or the martinis at the Colonnade that are like $7 that after two of them – Someone not only takes your keys, but is helping you up the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, exactly and, right. and just a, a lot of things that are uniquely Atlanta. You know, I, I did something last week about a World War II submarine that's been missing for 73, y- uh, 73 years that was found in uh, 1,400 feet of water 50 miles northwest of Okinawa. There's 52 U.S. submarines that were lost in World War II. That's a lot. Only five have ever been found, and this one was found. And I googled the Defense Department roster of of the men who served who were lost, and one of them was an Atlanta boy. And uh, I, I think I've had sixty or seventy thousand views on that. He was a lot of relatives that are still, you know, walking around here. His grandfather founded the Greek Orthodox Church off Claremont. You know, these these kinds of stories that we don't see a lot on Atlanta media. Of of the Atlanta that was, mm-hmm. quite frankly, is but gets ignored because you know most of the newsrooms are full of people that aren't from here, and uh, I, I am from here, and I I know where things are and how things work, and mm-hmm. I've just tried to convey that in my Facebook posts, and I have all kinds of of stories that uh, that have been unique and interesting, you know, Babe Ruth's wife is from here in this area and i went up and did something with her family a couple of weeks ago and in the family home that's 200 years old in gainesville and those kinds of stories that are uniquely atlanta that make us different that uh, that are our city and our region and that's the kind of stuff i'm just trying to do it's no, nothing scientific or nothing haughty or, or <laughs> nothing thought-provoking but you know, a piece of
0: Atlanta, and that's why it's brilliant. Because I'm a lifelong Atlanta oh, resident, and my perception is, especially with you know, as, as crowded as Atlanta is getting, and developers, they have no problem tearing down historic buildings or older buildings that meant you know. something to us. And so, you are kind of preserving, you know, the the, uh, the house on Roswell Road that had something to do with DeForest Kelly. That was cool.
1: Yeah, isn't that crazy? Right. I, I I'd always heard DeForest Kelly was from here, but he has been gone a long time from Atlanta and his family's footprints have been covered by a lot of leaves and a lot of orange dirt over the years. So I started when the Falcons were getting pasted one rainy Sunday afternoon on the television, I just started uh looking into that and I was finding all kinds of information that surprised me and I got in contact with the caretaker of DeForest Kelly in his final years, who lived in Portland, Oregon, and she gave me all kinds of his stuff, and it gave me addresses from his Rolodex and everything else on a Sunday afternoon, and it was amazing. It was just, I got in my car, I went and took some pictures of where his father was a preacher in East Atlanta, off Old Confederate Avenue, uh, where he preached to uh, both black and white congregants, which is pretty amazing of that era. And uh, he graduated from Decatur High School, and the family home is still there. It's the only residence. that's still on Roswell Road right off of Peachtree and it's now where they, it's a bakery where they make cupcakes and that's where his his parents lived. And, and, and it was pretty astonishing.
0: It is it was, astonishing, Jeff. And, and you know the area, that house is dwarfed by just now monster buildings going up in that area.
1: Yeah, you know it's, it's, uh, it was bizarre when I looked at that address and I googled it and I thought, whoa that, that can't be. And it was. It was the exact address of, of Forrest De Kelly's uh, uh, family and uh, parents and it's crazy. I mean, look, th- there's so many interesting stories like that in, in Atlanta and just back to that thing that we began the program with talking about the layers of Atlanta. This place has been rolling for a lot of decades and a lot of generations and we got here from a lot of ancestors that were led really interesting lives. It's a really complicated place in an interesting place, and if you can take a coin and kind of scratch through it, you will discover things that will astonish you
0: for for your estimation, why is Atlanta uniquely different than say a Dallas or a Portland or chicago even well
1: i I think um you know I think reconstruction uh, has you know Abraham Lincoln had the idea that basically the South would be treated as a brother that you know they would be able to still maintain the culture and Confederate flags and Confederate days, and it evolved differently. It's just uh, this part of the South evolved in a very different way, and with that comes good and bad and interesting in between, and it it just evolved differently. It's a, a very, very unique place predicated by segregation, predicated by the Civil Rights Movement, predicated by customs and mores. And some really interesting personalities. You know, this is the kind of place where Ty Cobb, who arguably is the greatest baseball player of the first half of the 20th century, is, is born and raised in Royston. And about 10 minutes away is Johnny Mize, the big cat, a Hall of Famer, who was also this extraordinary creature of athleticism and Southern poverty. And then you go another 15 or 20 minutes. And it's the woman who would marry Babe Ruth who would straighten his life out. So you've got three people that greatly influenced Major League Baseball's history in the United States, all separated by, what, maybe 30 minutes of the same generation? I mean, it's it's stuff like that that is head-shaking in the South.
0: Does it, does it surprise you what you unearth? I can imagine when you do these stories, you go, man, you get surprised every time, I bet.
1: I, I think the story that has moved me as much as any was And I don't, I don't know if you saw this one or not. Story of the young Braves player who grew up in East Point. His only goal was to pitch for the Atlanta Braves. And he was a great star in the making. Um, he had moved his way up through minor league baseball, married an Atlanta girl, his high school sweetheart, and, uh, was up with the big team. He was scheduled to pitch against the Cincinnati Reds in, uh, let's see, this was 1969. And, he, it was, uh, he was scheduled to pitch on a Sunday. They had just picked out an apartment in Atlanta, had come up from Florida, and uh, were killed on uh, I-285 by a drunken driver. Mm. And he is lost to the mist of time. You know, here's a this incredible future in front of him. Both were killed, and um, her mother had put up a cross uh, in October on the 50th anniversary of their death. I was trying to get the county involved, and... Uh that story that story did almost eighty five thousand and she had all the pictures of them as a young couple. It really brought them back to life and the tragedy and, and the cruel twist of fate for this young couple that you know might have made a difference, might have been such a big star in Atlanta that, you know, he would have been, you know, up in the Pantheon with Glavin and Smoltz yeah. and and Phil Necro and instead um we don't even know his name and uh, his jersey, of which he was to wear that Sunday, still hanging in his mother-in-law's closet fifty years later. Wow,
0: that is. I do. I do remember that story, and it was. It's it's almost like a movie script, but you couldn't script it. You couldn't script it. It's just like
1: horrible. That. I mean, it's just a. Uh, it's just so moving. It's just terrible. It is. Um, but there there are those stories like that 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 are sort of unearthed that now we're putting them on television because you know they they have drawn a lot of audience on Facebook and. We're hoping to draw the same kind of attention on television. But those are the kinds of stories that local television doesn't do a very good job with in Atlanta in 2019. I, I don't think we tell those kinds of stories of, of our community the way that we need to and, and hopefully the way that we will in the future.
0: Well, and I, and a lot of my peers and friends love what you're doing. So keep up the good work. Uh, I look forward to it every time, and it's wonderful. Thanks. I imagine I've that...
1: got i I've got a good story today. On, uh, on 11 Alive News at 6 o'clock about a World War I soldier who was at Camp Gordon, uh, and not Fort Gordon, but Camp Gordon, which was PDK Airport. There's 47,000 World War I soldiers that came through Chambly, and there were 5,000 horses because the army in World War I was not mechanized. 5,000 horses were all kept in stalls at what is now the Peachtree Golf Course off of Peachtree Road. Oh, yeah. and And this is the story of a guy who came to Atlanta who wanted to be uh, an officer, and he left his family in Valparaiso, Indiana, and all of his letters have been preserved through his family. And um, his great-great-granddaughter lives in the Emory area and, and and read some of the letters and shared them with us. And it is as though he has been gone, you know, five or six years as opposed to, you know, almost a 100 years.
0: How re- receptive are the... Uh... The family members, when you try to dig up these in, incredible stories, I, I, they seem very willing to help you.
1: They, they they are willing to help, and I think one of the things, you know, there are there are advantages to having been in a city on radio and television for thirty five, thirty six years, and that's one of them. Um, you know, you're able people will listen to you, people will take your calls, and you know, you can you can get some things done that. Are harder to do if uh, people don't know you, and th- I mean that's certainly one advantage among many uh, many advantages of having been in a city for a very long time in a public job.
0: All right, we've got about five minutes left. Uh, I want to talk about something a little bit more lighthearted, but it's still agonizing. Why are Atlanta sports teams snake bit?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I don't. I don't have the answer to that, and I. I think if anybody does have the answer, they should reveal it now to the Chamber of Commerce. Yes. But uh, I, I. I don't know. I mean, the Falcons are a, such a curious organization. The Smiths did their very best. They did all they could. I think it's easy to slam the Smith family, but I think. Uh, you know, I, I. I think they were good. They were good stewards of the city and the region. They cared about the region. They just didn't win. Uh, you know, Arthur Blank's done some great stuff here and what he does with his foundation. that buoys the West Side and buoys so many so many organizations that you don't hear about. You can't say enough about what he has meant to the community. Quite frankly, I think when, when uh, he and, and Bernie Marcus both pass, I, I don't know who fills their shoes. I mean, I, I think we should be a lot more appreciative for what those two guys have meant to this community. But to answer your question, um, I don't know, you know, you take a look at the, the Hawks are less of this because they have always been just sort of mediocre. Yeah. You know, they've had some good years, you know, the Fatello years in the late eighties and yes. early nineties and, and Lenny Wilkins teams were pretty good. And, and, uh, you know, coach Bud had a good team there a couple of years ago, but by and large, They've never been really terrible, nor really great. They've kind of been in between since moving here in 68 from, from St. Louis. But the Braves and the Falcons are are, are tortured. I mean, whether it's Danny White oh, or it's Eugene God. Robinson yes. or it's 28-3, to three, or even a season like this I think really mirrors the Atlanta Falcons' experience of, are, are, you know, what's going on? Why, why is there such, you know, highs and lows? It's just... Yes. Uh, you know and and the way in which the, they lose these games of merit and consequence um are are maddening and the same with the Braves I, I i know i'm a contrarian here but um Braves needed to win more than one world series i mean come on i agree completely and I, and i hear a lot of revisionist history about wow they won 14 you know division titles baloney man you had a once in a generation Starting lineup of pitchers, you had unlimited money and creativity with John Sherholtz and Ted Turner. You had you know, you had all of these abilities to get players here because of, of money and, and just one championship, that's it.
0: And I think the ninety six they went to five World Series in the nineties alone. That's all- terrible. That that I I, I think the ninety eight
1: team is the one that is more heartbreaking. I think it's more heartbreaking than any of the others. It's just I mean, come on! Even, I, I don't. I don't even think the team that won in '95 is the best Braves team. I don't even think that.
0: when I thought '96 team was even more stacked than the '95, and then they God, go up. They were so
1: stacked, they and weren't. they just went stone cold in the postseason. And uh,
0: and they win the first two games up in New York at Yankee Stadium, and then they lose lose the next four.
1: Oh yeah, I thought it was over. Yeah,
0: oh, yeah. I remember jo- an interviewing Andrew-, an Andrew Jones yeah. live on
1: television? You know. Oh man, crazy! Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's it's maddening. I, I the the Braves history is. You know, everybody talks about the Falcons, but I, I just find that whole Braves experience of the '90s into the '2000s. I, I, I just think it's more painful than the Falcons because it's it, it's just impossible to understand. I, I just I still don't get it, <laughs> no. and and I think as the years go on, I I just I think it's increasingly bitter.
0: You know, I think so too. And I've told friends after that uh Falcons, you know, 28 to 3 debacle, I don't think I'll ever see a, a Falcons Super Bowl win in my lifetime and I'm 55. Yeah. Hard to tell. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Hard to tell, but until they win a Super Bowl, that 28 to 3 is the headline, man. That's the headline on the franchise, like it or not.
0: You're exactly right. Uh, you know, know,
1: it it's okay to it's okay to lose Super Bowls, but to lose them with a guy who's picking up a Hooker or <laughs> uh losing 28 to 3, yes. I mean, that's that's really maddening to your fan base, and and really just to all of us. Uh, you know, how about just losing the game, getting your lunch like the Broncos with San Francisco or the Giants or the Redskins?
0: Yes, we would have loved that's, that better. That's Absolutely. more
1: digestible. But twenty eight to three, and your team captain's been arrested uh, because he has the night hunger. You know. <laughs>
0: One final question, if you don't mind, and Jeff Hollinger has been my special guest this hour. Um, what could the city of Atlanta, in general, do better, in your opinion? I mean, they do a lot of it's things like about right. Government, just, in, just, I don't know. Maybe government, maybe uh, Chamber of Commerce, maybe just as a collective. I don't know. Maybe that's not a fair question to ask. But
1: I, I think I think Atlanta's a great city. I think the city's booming. Let's just hope the government keeps up with it. It understands, you know. The potential of Atlanta not to be mired in the past, the diversity of Atlanta is is so rich. It's so important. It's not just one group. It's many moving parts in 2019. And if you don't believe that, walk the Beltline between Piedmont Park and up to Prague Street. And I think you get a view of Atlanta uh, that may give you a better sense of that, whether it's a lot of different dialects you hear speaking or different races, different cultures. This is an amazing place, and, and I hope the government keeps up with that fact.
0: Yeah, I do too. Uh, one final tidbit. If, if you want to look for a future story for your Facebook thing, your history, go to the old North Fulton High School in Buckhead, which is now the Atlanta International School. That uh, has got a lot of history to it, so maybe you can dig into that.
1: Can I tell you a quick, uh, one quick story? I was walking with my labradoodle in, in town. Man, that sounds like a, the beginning <laughs> of a bad book. It does. But I saw in the middle of North Highland was a yearbook from North Atlanta. This was about three or four years ago. And it was uh, a yearbook from 1948. Some guy who was moving to assisted living, they had lost it. And it had a history of North Atlanta back then, which was eye-opening and uh, in- incredible. How one city can change within about two generations is just astonishing. And it is... uh Uh, it's given me that perspective of uh, this place is unique in that sense. It it truly is.
0: It really is. Well, Jeff Hollinger, thank you so much for being my special guest this hour. I really do appreciate it. And I'm a fan. So this was fun for me, a lot of fun.
1: No, I I would not be a fan of anyone who reads the news or sports on local television. Save your fandom for somebody who counts like – well, I'm trying to think of who who deserves that. How about –
0: Mother Teresa? You no, know, I'm I trying mean, <laughs> to
1: think of a Falcon. How about Matt Ryan? Maybe uh, be a fan of Matt Ryan. Yeah, per- who gets a bad rap in this
0: town, I might add. I agree, but you're doing some really great things, and so keep up the great work. Jeff Thanks. Hollinger, 11 Live. It. Thank you again. My pleasure. And thank you all very much for listening to Billy Brew Radio. Next week's Thanksgiving, so I'm not going to be here. Greg's not going to be here. So you all have a great week next week, and we shall return that first Thursday in December with a, uh, a the daughter of a very famous rock drummer. That's the tease I'm going to give you, and I will see you guys in two weeks. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and we'll see you then.